Hi guys, hope you've all been well and enjoying the new year. I took a little break to go have a baby. Happy to report I can now see my toes again. Woohoo! Baby and I are both doing great. I mean, he's not letting me sleep much, but that's part of the job description, right? Anyway, now that I've got a cumulative three whole hours of sleep under my belt, I thought I'd get this episode out. I recorded it way back in December, but I only just got a chance to edit it now since my life has kind of been a whirlwind of diapers and breastfeeding lately. I mean, I'm trying to record this intro while breastfeeding too right now, so excuse any baby noises you may hear in the background. But thank you to everyone who sent kind messages and to all the wonderful patrons who keep this show alive. Thank you for your patience and for not abandoning me while I was off for a couple of weeks. Your support is truly, truly appreciated, especially now since as a freelancer, I don't get maternity benefits. So the stakes of keeping this going are much higher. And thanks to all the new patrons who signed up. We are super close to the 250 patron mark where I'll do another AMA. So if you've been wanting to sign up, now's a great time. And that way you'll be able to participate in the AMA episode too, soon, hopefully. Anyhow... I hope you'll enjoy hearing this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Asifa Lahore, British Muslim transgender drag queen, is joining me this episode. I truly think voices like Asifa should be supported and propped up way more than they are. These are the voices that inspire and bring progress and change to Muslim communities. People like her challenge stereotypes and bigots on both sides of the aisle. I'll link to some of Asifa's videos in the show notes. Do give her a follow on Twitter, at Asifa Lahore, A-S-I-F-A-L-A-H-O-R-E. I've admired her from the moment I first heard of her. She's elegant, eloquent, and just plain badass. She's been so open about her experiences while transitioning, experiences with her family, that I'm sure what she has to say will be of tremendous value to others thinking of taking a similar journey, especially from Muslim and Pakistani communities around the world and also to those who are just looking to learn and be better allies, like myself, in times where there are so many divisions and differences and so much hatred, anti-transness, anti-Muslimness. It was wonderful to have a chance to host someone like Asifa on the show. We discuss everything from family to her trip to Pakistan, to going to mosque as a trans woman, to erections, sex, and porn. Let's get to it. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to episode 54. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it via Patreon to help it survive and thrive. A shout out to all the patrons who do help keep this tiny operation afloat. Without you, none of this would be possible. Thank you guys so much. Now, today I've got the lovely Asifa Lahore here with me. She's a trans Muslim woman an inspiration across so many intersections. And you may know her from the documentary Muslim Drag Queens or her hilarious spinoff of Barbie Girl called Punjabi Girl. How's it going, Asifa? Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm not too bad at all. I'm uh, in the thick of it all, but I'm really good. Yeah, I mean, so much has changed since we last spoke. I think you were on last year sometime. That's true, yes. And a lot has changed. I mean, this month in particular, it's been um, two years since I've been on hormone replacement therapy. Oh, wow. Did you only just come out publicly last year then? or I came out publicly uh, two years ago. So two years, oh, May, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And how's that journey been? It's been a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, it's taking hormones and seeing your body change. It's kind of like going through puberty all over again. But also it feels 
I get a lot of like um, cravings. Uh, it's like being pregnant oh. continuously. Like I lots can relate and lots to that cravings. right now. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like oh, I just think about food. I think about the food that I want to eat whenever I want to eat it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it gets to a point where I have to keep an eye on my exercise as well. Otherwise, I would, I would probably. I'd probably be like you, like heavily pregnant right now. <laughs> so what are you um, craving? Okay, right now I'm craving sweet potatoes. Uh, my thing, uh, so I'm 100% vegan. Oh. And my cravings tend to switch these days from uh, soya chunks um, or sweet potatoes. Interesting. Nothing too like salty or sour Oh, no, no, no. There is something that um, is quite sour. I love achar. Oh, like, yeah. Literally, it's got to be a specific achar. It's um, a Pakistani brand called Ahmad uh, or Ahmad's. And it's literally just like Pachuranga, which literally means like, the you mixed know, one? all the fives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah I, think, I think I know that one. So it's literally just like I, I can have as much of that. As, as I want and I love it <laughs> me too especially now during pregnancy like I have been going nuts for all the achars and for anyone mm. listening achar is just like it's pickle so like you just mm. you're supposed to have like a little tiny bit on the side but I have it like by the spoonful sometimes <laughs> yes yeah, I can have it as a dish <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's fun so apart from all that there must have been like completely different challenges to coming out as trans uh, to your family and friends and definitely I mean there was definitely more challenges I felt a, I felt a lot of pressure this time round simply because you know having been in the public eye for so mm -hmm. long and then coming out once again as transgender um, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because I was just like, God, the first time round was so dramatic coming out as gay. And now, you know, trans, I just, you know, I, I don't want it to be as challenging and dramatic as the first time. Uh, so the way I did it was I basically started the process. So I started hormone replacement therapy uh, in February 2017. And I came out to my mum and dad in May 2017. So I waited, I waited because I guess I wanted to get used to the hormones. I wanted to get over the, the roller coaster ride of the first three months. So yeah. on the first three months of, of HRTs, literally, it's a roller coaster ride. You go from feeling elated to feeling down to feeling, you know, moody, mm. all sorts of things. Your body's like continuously changing. Like I literally had to take showers like two or three times a day because, you know, I was sweating profoundly. Oh, wow. I was having a lot of hot flushes. Um, and yeah, I told my mum and dad sort of three months later, like in May 2017. And okay, this is going to sound really silly. Well, I say really silly, but there was no drama. There was no sort of you know, uh, challenges whatsoever. My mom and dad got it. They said, well, you know, if if you were, you know, if you're transgender, I wish you would, would have told us, you know, years ago. Mm. Um, because they obviously, you know, my uh, mom and dad are Pakistani. Yeah. And um, they're very well aware of the, the Khwaja Sara uh, community or the Hijra community yeah. in, uh, in Pakistan. Um, yeah, so that's something that's more, I guess, uh, something they're familiar with, something that's more acceptable, perhaps, in our culture. I d you know what? I don't think it's quite... I don't think acceptable is the right word. I just think it's visible. Mm. Like, people are aware of it. Yeah, so um, familiar. Yeah, that's true. It's not acceptable in the sense that that community has been marginalized constantly in Pakistan. There's no, uh, you know, it's so hard for them to get regular jobs and just be accepted in daily life in society. So, yeah, acceptable is not right. It's not a... Yeah, and literally, it was it was much easier. It was much, 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 much easier in the sense that mum and dad were like, okay, 
you know, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure, you know, you want to go through the medical transition? And I said, well, I'm already on, you know, hormones and I have to, you know, I want to carry on on hormones and I'm, you know, I'm due to actually have my SRS anytime soon. So I'm a bit like you at the moment. Are you, you know, you're ready to pop mm. and I'm ready to, you know, What's uh, SRS? Vagina. Sorry, sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry for the ignorant questions, but you know. Uh, no, I'm glad. I'm glad. You see, this is what um, I think the world needs is I think people feel really like, I don't know, ashamed or wary to ask questions because they're, you know, I know, scared of being offensive or to offend. But I'm just like, good, just ask the question because, mm. you know, by asking the question, you know more. So, yeah, SRS is uh, sexual reassignment surgery oh, in some okay. parts of the world. Right, yes. It's also I've... called GRS. Okay, so you're, okay, that's going to be a big change as well. It's going to be a massive change, obviously. Um, you know, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to uh, a part of my body that I've had for 35 years and saying hello to a new part of, of my anatomy and getting used to that, um, which I'm really looking forward to. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I mean, a friend of mine asked me the, the other day, like, are you scared? And I'm not scared at all because it's, it's something that I've wanted for such a long time and I'm ready for it. And I'm, I'm more excited than scared. That's awesome. I'm just, you know, I just want to sort of get on with it, if you know what I mean. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of there in that in that headspace. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things have, ch have changed since the last time we spoke because I also went back to Pakistan after coming oh. up publicly as transgender. I went to attend my cousin's wedding in Karachi oh. um, about a few months ago, literally November 2018. How'd that go? Oh, it was amazing. Uh, it, so I went to Karachi, uh, which uh, is my mum's side of the family. Yeah, my mum is Urdu speaking. Oh, okay. All right. Brilliant. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very interesting in the sense that my dad is Punjabi from Lahore and my mum is Urdu speaking from Karachi. Uh, and literally, I went to uh, Karachi. Um, and the family were just, I mean, the family knew, obviously, like, uh, through social media and everything, you know, th that I'd come out as transgender. Does everyone know and that you're celebrity? Everyone, uh, well, I wouldn't, I don't like to see <laughs> myself as, as a celebrity as such. But, you know, I just, when it comes to family, like... Uh, I am, you know, I'm me. They've seen me grow up from like zero to what I am now. So they were, you know, in my mom's side of the family, I hadn't seen them for a good, let me think, six years. So going back to Karachi was amazing because not only has Karachi changed so much, like like socially, I feel it, it, it's it's changed a lot. Yeah, tell me um, about that. I haven't been there in 10 years at least. Oh, my God. So... Socially, things have changed in the sense that obviously so people are aware of the internet. They're aware of social media. Fashion trends have changed. Um, you've got everyone from, you know, the affluent parts of Defence and Clifton all mm -hmm. the way to the slums of, say, Sarjani Town and, and Korangi and Leari, mm -hmm. like bringing out skinny jeans with kameezes. Oh, and, yeah. Um, you know, it's all, it's, it's, it's the younger generation. I find is much more open-minded. I mean, I was I was fully accepted by my peers, uh, by my older aunties, by my khalas, and people. Let's just say people are much more aware of of issues that are happening, not only like nationally in Pakistan, but also internationally in the world. People are much more. They seem much more aware. Mm -hmm. And I think that has impacted uh, definitely Karachi life, definitely in that respect. I mean, you know, popping into an Uber, for example, in Karachi is amazing. Because Does that feel safe? I felt 100% safe. I mean, I went with uh, a British white friend of mine um, and I actually felt much more safe in Ubers than I did, say, if had I taken public transport. Mm. So Pakistan is is I feel it's it's definitely changing. There is a sense of I felt there was a sense of optimism in the air and hope. I, I guess about 10, 20 years ago, there was this sense of 
oh god i need to get out of pakistan i want to you know get i want to go to australia i want to go to america i want to go to the uk or europe whatever now it's just like i'm cool with pakistan i want to make it work here people see opportunity which is you know quite fascinating yeah. i find you said that your aunts accepted you did you have any people that didn't accept you and made nasty comments or how did that it's play a- out it's very interesting because um, I didn't get any nasty comments from any one of the family. Um, and this is both extended family and um, immediate family. And, I mean, I had braced myself to expect that, but I didn't get it to my face whatsoever. And out and about in Karachi, when I was going out and about and, you know, going and seeing the sights of uh, uh, sights and sounds of, of Karachi that I was used to, everyone just assumed that I was a cisgendered uh, yeah. Pakistani woman. So nobody batted an eyelid. But obviously those people that knew within my family, everybody was really warm, really accepting. And, you know, it, obviously they would slip up on on the gender norms and sometimes my name they would call me Asif instead of Asifa Um, but besides that nothing at all and I was very surprised that's so good to hear and with the pronouns like I guess you can tell when someone's doing it maliciously to upset you or humiliate you and yes I mean it's different when someone genuinely slips up and they didn't mean to you know yes yes so I would assume that that makes a difference too. Like you can tell the intent of the people that are. Oh, of course. I mean, obviously my um, uh, relatives speak Urdu and Urdu is very like, you know, as you know, it's it's very masculine and feminine, especially within the pronouns. Yeah, and very gendered. Within, yes, exactly. So, you Kinda know. Kind of like French too, right? Like a table and a chair, everything has a gender. There you go. There you go. So literally, you know, the, um, when. When people sort of were speaking and they would misgender me, they would instantly, you know, uh, correct themselves. So I didn't have find myself sort of, um, you know, having to do do that at all. I was very, very, very lucky and, and very happy at the same time as well. That's great. That's really not what I would expect. And that's so good to hear. Did you get any questions like... I don't know, like questions that surprised you or people were just generally afraid to ask? Well, my aunties obviously asked me about hormones and my body and, you know, anatomy and, and genitalia. They asked you all that, eh? They asked me every because obviously I they've known me since I was like a baby. Yeah. So, you know, they've seen me in all sorts of situations growing up. So, yeah, God, they they asked me. They they um one particular auntie she you know asked me about breast growth and uh, about my body shape and about my hair and you know she said like my hair's long now obviously and she was just like is that your natural hair is it a weave and I said it's my natural hair but it's it's growing because of the hormones Mm -hmm. and she was like okay are you wearing a bra right now Uh, and I said yes of course I am but you know these are my my own boobs and she was very impressed and then she proceeded to basically show me her stomach from underneath her kameez. What? And she ba- we ended up talking about her. Um, so she had four abortions, bless her. And oh. she reckons that she's got a massive stomach, a protruding stomach because of all these abortions that she's had. Um, and basically this is, uh, it's a conversation I never thought I would have had with my with my auntie, with one of my closest aunties. So I was like, wow. Yeah, so I guess you're seeing a difference in how people treat you too, right? Like when they perceive you as one gender and then another. And the rough end of that stick is that you bear a lot of the brunt of misogyny and stuff like that. The the not-so-fun parts of being a woman also seep into that. Did you get catcalled and hit on in the markets and had your oh, butt grabbed? Of course, of course. I mean, I didn't get my butt grabbed. No, God, no. But I did get, I did get, you know, street hawkers um, catcalling and perving on me. Yeah. And, um, you know, that kind of thing. And it really, you know, it's, it's misogyny in Pakistan is just like ridiculous. Like I, 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 I found myself oddly falling into the gender norms out there. And I had to actually catch myself on many occasions because it's so 
easy to slip into, okay, women must wear their dupatte when, you know, the azan comes on and, you know, scarf, women yeah. have, Exactly. So it's just, I just feel like, you know, uh, I found myself going, you know what, no, I'm not, I, I, I need to, I, I I need to catch myself on certain uh, occasions because it's so easy to fall into those norms when you're in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of pressure around for you to be modest and cover yourself and things like that, especially if your family's on the more conservative side and the other women drape the scarf over their head when they hear the prayer call, then you feel like an obligation to do it yourself, right? Because everyone's doing it. Definitely, yeah. But yeah, I, I I get really annoyed by that, and I never do it. So, um, but I can see where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, so that's that's great. That generally your trip went well. Your family embraced you, and that so far coming out as trans has been actually a better experience. It sounds like right, like than coming out. As it's been a whole better experience than than coming out as a gay man. But then again, I think there's so much misogyny in that that you know, be like culture. Like it's interesting how when it comes to say sexuality and gender, um, because I've always been effeminate, my you know, my my community and my family will in a way accept me because I am because of my femininity, if I am transitioning to female, that's that that works for them. But if I were to say for example, I had I identified fully as an effeminate gay man and stayed as an effeminate gay man, that would have been a problem. And I just think there's... Because you don't personally. fit the, uh, I, I guess, the heteronormativity, right? Yeah, that too, yeah. So that a lot of people find harder to accept because then you stick out more. And as a trans woman, when people think you're like, you know, a cis woman, then it's no problem for people. <sighs> Well, I mean, I mean, I'm very much aware of my passing privilege. And yeah. what I mean by that is, you know, I, I, I am a trans woman, but many people would assume that I'm cisgendered. Yeah. And that passing privilege um, is not shared by the majority of trans women around the world. Yeah. Um, so I'm very much aware of my, um, you know, passing privilege because... You know, again, I didn't feel a pressure to look more feminine or be more feminine because I have that privilege. But had I not, then it would have created a whole different issue. Right. And much more hostility, probably. Oh, much, much more hostility. I mean, every time I saw a transgendered uh, beggar on the street or, um, you know, just somebody who was trans... I just felt an instant affiliation with them because life for me could have been so different yeah. had I been born in Pakistan and I didn't have the privilege of um, going, you know, to an international country. Yeah. Um, so I not only did I give money, but I I remember specifically I was in um, in a neighborhood in uh, Karachi called Sadar, which is yeah. a massive marketplace. And I was there buying material because I needed to buy some material for some gowns in, in the UK. Mm -hmm. And as I was buying this material, a couple of, you know, Khwaja Saras and, you know, transgendered uh, women came uh, begging for money. And I said to them, I'll come and sit with me. And they were very, very surprised, but they came and sat right next to me inside the material shop and I did my shopping I finished my shopping and um, I told them look I'm I'm trans too I'm exactly like you uh -huh. uh, and they didn't believe me they didn't believe me whatsoever bless them they were they didn't have the privilege of passing they were very big uh, they had on a lot of makeup it was very obvious that they were trans women right um, and then I guess just not even having the financial resources contributes to that too right not having access to hormones or like I don't know higher quality makeup all kinds yeah, of yeah, things yeah, yeah. right all sorts of yeah you know when you take that on board of course and you know I they were like 
prove it. And so I started speaking to them in Farsi. Now, Farsi is a secret language uh, amongst Pakistani transgender people. Really? Yes. I didn't know and that. And it's, it's created, it was created as a safety mechanism for transgender people to communicate together between each other in public, mostly against the police. So, oh. you know, if there was any, if there was a situation where they needed to run or they needed to get away or they needed to communicate to each other and they didn't want the general public to know, they would communicate in Farsi, which was created specifically by the community. So I started speaking but to them. But Farsi, you don't mean like the language from Iran, you mean a separate? No, it's a totally separate language altogether oh um and it's you know it's it's um i started speaking to them in farsi in this transgender language and they were just you know they were like wow they were just wowed and i how do you know that even because you grew up in britain right i grew up in britain but um obviously i in britain um there's a massive Khwaja Sara and drag community from Pakistan mm-hmm. um, that has kept that tradition. That's so, awesome. for example, they, you know, they love Pakistani mudras mm-hmm. and they love dancing to Pakistani mudras and performing to Pakistani mudras in Punjabi and in Urdu. And they kept that traditional Farsi. So I learned Farsi from them. Can you just explain what mudras are just for the audience? Of course. So mudras are essentially, historically, they were They were dance uh, recitals that were performed by the courtesans of the uh, Mughal Empire. Uh, and they were seen as, you know, very aristocrat, very elegant um, and very... Uh, a courtesan that could perform a mudra would be very talented. As the years went on and British rule came to, you know, uh, pre-partition India, a lot of the courtesans were forced into sex work, which still continues now, you know, and much of the transgender community uh, performs mudra. Yeah. Um, and these days, mudra is very sexual. It's very, you know, Punjabi mudras, for example, uh, Punjabi mudras are not only performed in Punjabi, but very, very suggestive, very sexual languages used in mudras. Um, it's very upfront. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like still the equivalent in community. Of in, like in strip UK. shows, right? <laughs> I would totally nowadays it's, you know, the equivalent of strip shows. And, you know, it's happening not only in Pakistan and much of the Asian subcontinent, but it's happening in Asian diasporas in America and in the oh, UK. Really? Oh. Oh god, yeah. I didn't know that. So that's fascinating that there's this this whole new this whole other language that's been kept up even in different parts of the world by different trans communities that link back to Pakistan. Yeah. And that you spoke to them and they were they had their minds blown that's That's such a sweet story. And I mean, I I felt an affinity to them because, you know, my first memories of sexuality or gender actually came from the Pakistani trans community because, you know, in my formative years between 11 and 14, I actually lived in Pakistan. So I when I saw um, trans people, I was just like, okay, that's my community. That's who I am. Yeah. But when I came back to the UK, trans visibility was so... Um, you know, it was next to nothing in the UK at the time in the na- in the late 90s. And I, because I was bullied and called gay in, in the school that I, I went to when I came back, I just assumed that I was gay. And I just assumed that, okay, being gay is, is, is what it, what, what, you know, is, it is in the UK, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's only years later when I met more and more trans people that I was just like, okay, I'm actually trans. It, it's definitely a journey. It's definitely individual. And it's definitely fluid, I think. I don't think, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm going from one binary to the other when it comes to gender. But I do firmly believe that everyone is on the spectrum somewhere. Like, mm. we have masculinity and femininity and whatever else mixed into us that we can express at different times or different parts of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And people that cling to these 100% ideas of purity with regards to gender, I mean, 
I don't think that's a very happy way to be, right? Like, if you think that your femininity is centered around certain biological traits or your femininity, your womanhood is threatened by just the usage of the word cis or, you know, or just that your masculinity is so easily threatened, this is a very insecure way to live. So I think embracing that fluidity and the different components of all of us is just a much happier and more relaxed way to be. There are so many things about me that aren't like, you know, traditional girly girl. And I've heard mm. that my whole life, you know, like I've, because mm. I've wanted to dress differently, wear dog collars and things like that, wear alternative looking makeup. I never like the, you know, the pink and the, maybe I did when I was four or something, but <laughs> I did as well. I love pink. <laughs> yeah. But after that, it's been black all the way. So, you know, I've heard it a lot that you're not girly enough. You're, mm. you know, you don't do those things and you're not traditional. And now, you know, I'm totally at peace with that. But there were times when I was younger and people could hurt me with those words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, even I mean, it was the same for me as well. It was the same for me in terms of, you know, the bullying, in terms of people can use such words. Um, and I say people, but actually other children. And when you're, uh, you know, when you are um, at that age, you know, every child just says it as it is, right? Every child tends to be super expressed. And when you hear stuff that goes against what you think is right at that age, it can really mess with you. Yeah, exactly. And hearing it from like relatives and stuff that you're not girly mm. enough and you don't fit in and, you know, aunts and uncles and you should wear this, you should dress like a lady, you should sit like girls, sit like this. It's like, I never wanted that. No, that's, that's not, that's not who I am. So I completely get it when you say that we're on this spectrum and we have different parts to us definitely to and that. I just think like gender sexual orientation race um you know disability ability uh religion it all plays a part in 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 who we are yeah. um and I mean I've I've had to juggle around so many different identities and yeah, uh, you know very much on the intersection of of identity but I think I've learned to appreciate that that I can see beyond just the identities and the binaries yeah and I mean that's why you're such an inspiration and your visibility is probably so inspiring to so many you know kids in Muslim households because you know you've come out as gay you've come out as trans you've challenged sort of the conservatism in Islamic communities by with your burqa routine there's so many things that you do that are just you know so fantastic that are so you know challenging that make people think so yeah I think you're doing you're doing something wonderful by being public and open and honest and I think you're going to help a lot of younger people thank you I just I just want to like live in a world and create a world where people can just make their dreams come true and and just live openly and just you know live basically because I feel like so many people not just the Muslim community I just feel that so many people aren't living to their full potential and you know we just sort of live w with the blinkers on e either side of us but if we just get rid of all those blinkers and all those binaries god the world is can open up to us as individuals and just we can live the life that we all really want and make all our dreams come true like you know don't just dream actually just make just, it happen yeah just be who you are mm. it's easier said than done but I mean you're really leading the way on that right and you know in your video when you posted that about coming out as trans it was a really emotional video you said this was one of the happiest times of your life since being on HRT. And then you also spoke about how you and your husband broke up. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when, when I did that video, it was uh, very emotional for me because not only was I going through the roller coaster of like the first two quarters of, of hormones, but it was an emotional time because I think when 
people see you as an inspiration or a role model, they think you're invincible. And I I just wanted to be honest and actually show some humanity and, and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it's not like it was forced or anything. It just came out of me. And yeah, I mean, I, I went through a breakup with, with my ex-husband uh, because of my you know, transition. He's a gay man who wanted to be with another gay man and me transitioning to being a woman, you know, didn't work for him. Mm-hmm. And after being together for 10 years, uh, six of those years we were married, um, we decided to part ways totally amicably. Um, but it was a difficult decision because I think, you know, prior to coming out, it was I knew that that would happen and uh, because, you know, I was having those conversations with my ex-husband at the time and I knew that I would have to enter a, a totally different phase of my life if I wanted to transition medically. Um, and when I made that decision, we parted ways and, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy now. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the time I, I, I was happy because I was finally on HRTs and I was being exactly who I wanted to be and you know being totally authentic and despite all the challenges that come with that you know it's not easy being a hundred percent real everywhere in your life like you know as human beings we have so much that we don't want the world to see we have so much that we hide um that we feel vulnerable about that we feel insecure about but literally opening yourself up to being vulnerable is like walking a tightrope, but there's a lot of excitement that comes with that fear too. And I'm glad I I'm glad I did that video because I didn't when it I didn't want to sort of give like a media interview or I didn't want to like, you know, do a big sort of you know, massive thing. I could have done another documentary about it, but I didn't want to. I just wanted to do something that was sincere and I felt a YouTube clip uh, and that particular YouTube clip was very authentic. It was, yeah. And um, we spoke last time a bit about how you sort of reconcile the two identities of being gay and Muslim. Mm. How does that work now being trans and Muslim? Is it still the same? Yeah, for me, it hasn't really changed um, at all in that respect. I mean, you know, trans women, uh, there are certain passages that refer to, you know, the Prophet Muhammad allowing trans women into the parlors of his wives, for example, because he didn't see them as a threat. I mean, I still follow all the five pillars of, of being mm-hmm. uh, a Muslim. You know, I, I pray, not, not every day, I pray once a week at the mosque. Um, now you're going to a different section of the mosque though right yes so it's interesting i didn't actually go to the mosque for i'd say the first year of my transition um and that was because for two reasons one was i didn't feel ready and secondly i knew that i would have to enter the female part of the mosque Uh and when I did feel ready when I felt okay I I feel ready to pray again I feel ready to to sort of go to the mosque again I went to uh the mosque and quite um uh it was very it was a sudden decision it was something I I didn't think about I totally forgot to to take a headscarf with me Uh and and when I entered the female quarters I was literally handed a um or no just before I entered the female quarters I was handed a headscarf by the security guard oh they have Um, spare ones Oh, God, yeah, they have spare ones at Brighton Centres. I think it's donations or, you know, women leave them. And it's the same with the men as well. They have torpies, which are like the small caps that, you know, men can cover their heads with. And um, I was like, uh, I just said, you know, shukriya, thank you. And, you know, put it over my head and went in and, and prayed. And, and you how know, was that? It, it was euphoric because I was finally praying as a woman uh-huh. surrounded by women and... Again, uh, uh, it was one of those moments in my life I don't think I'll ever forget because it's. Uh, I think everyone has these defining moments where they never forget for the entirety of their life. And that was one for me is, mm-hmm. is praying as a woman surrounded by women in a mosque. Um, 
it was it was amazing. It was amazing. And since then, I've gone every every week to the mosque. And you haven't um, gotten any like looks or any. No, again, once again, my passing privilege allows me to to pray. I think mm-hmm. again, if if I didn't have passing privilege, God, I, I don't think I'd be even allowed within the female quarters. Yeah, but maybe like you know, I, I don't know. Did, has anyone recognized you from your media presence or anything? No, no one's recognized me from from the media presence. Um, and it's one of those places where you know, when I go to the mosque, I don't. I leave. I leave everything at the door. So I leave all my identities, believe it or not, even including Muslim at the door. For me, when I go to the mosque and pray, it's my connection with God. It's Uh my connection with Allah. And uh, I just go pray. I feel, I feel uh, an internal cleanse in many ways. Uh I feel like, the week that's gone by, I, I thank God for the week that's gone by and look forward to the week ahead and have an internal cleanse um, and then just come back home, basically. That's that's very much my weekly ritual at the mosque mm-hmm. where I feel all my identities don't matter to to the people. All, all, the, all the identities that I have don't matter to me in that moment uh, around the people. It's just my connection with God that I feel I need to connect to and and let out. Well, it's great that you're able to do that, you know, power to you. I'm very lucky. Again, the passing privilege uh, allows me to, to do that. And I know that many Muslim trans women around the world aren't in that position. Yeah, yeah. What do you think we can, like, do to change things so that they can feel more comfortable being included so there's um i've only been to this mosque once or twice but in the uk that in london there's um the all-inclusive mosque it's called the muslim inclusive mosque and um it's got female imams that's cool it's open to everybody it's open to every muslim and non-muslim and is it gender um, segregated or no no it's not gender that's segregated good. at all it's you know it's open to everyone and you know in the UK a lot of um, trans women go to it to pray uh, because they feel comfortable and a lot of uh, again a lot of women that don't want to cover their heads go there a lot of women that you know want to be led by a female imam go there so it's very mixed it's very inclusive and and it's a great place to be it's just on the other side of London from where I am. That's oh, okay. why I tend to just go to my local mosque. That makes sense, um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my experience at mosque has never been, like, you know, one of feeling included. And so it's interesting for me to hear from you how euphoric and how, uh, I don't know, how it makes you feel connected. Because for me, as a woman being told to go in a separate section being told to cover your hair these are all things that have upset me you know of course and I mean I I on I was on the other side of the coin where I wanted to be part of that I wanted to go in the female section I wanted to put you know a, um, a scarf on my head and not so much now but just to express my femininity that I didn't know I could at that time or I wanted to but was never allowed to religiously if that makes sense yeah totally and I wanted to go in the other section because that's the main section right and I'm like why can't I be there yeah so yeah really interesting looking at it from these two perspectives but yeah that's that's good power to you that you you know you still hold both parts of those identities as complicated and complex as it may be as much of a struggle as it may be. I'm sure you get shit from like conservative Muslims who tell you all the time, all the time. I mean, it, you know, it works for me and I don't claim to have all the answers for everybody, but what I do know, um, as a Muslim, that, look, I'm going to go into my grave. Other people are going to go into their graves. They've got to answer for their lives and, and, and their deeds. I have to answer for mine. And for me, it's all about being authentic and right. practicing. Do people tell religion. you you're not Muslim? Like Oh, all the time. Yeah. God. I mean, you know, fundies in the, in the UK 
Anjum Chowdhury, oh. for example, who's like a fanatic. Oh, yeah, um, I'm well aware of him. <laughs> you know, he tweeted me like this week going, oh, if you're, you know, if Asifa Lahore is a Muslim, then I'm a peacock. Uh, and my reply to him was... I thought he was banned off Twitter. Oh, so he recently got released from, uh, from prison. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He recently got released from prison. Um, and he's obviously back on, on, on oh, Twitter. Lovely. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure he's on their own with restrictions. But again, it comes into, you know, free speech and, and everything. Yeah. So he's entitled to his opinion just as, uh, just as I am. And I just said to him, you know, how phallic of you to suggest a peacock. You must love <laughs> cocks. So, you know, I give as good as I get. That's fantastic. And on the other end, do you get it from like sort of right wing LGBT people as well? Telling oh, you God, that- they annoy me as well. Of right. course, I get it from right wing LGBT people saying that, you know, how can you be a Muslim? And, you know, you're not LGBT enough if you're not a Muslim. Yeah. And and I'm just like, oh, God, so what are you, how do you then, how do you, what do you say to all those gay Muslims exactly. that are rejected from entering gay clubs because they don't look gay enough, because they've got a beard or, or because, what, you know. People get rejected oh, for oh, that? Oh, God, there's so much racism and there's so much anti-religious feeling in the LGBT community in, in the UK. You know, so I know so many of my friends that have beards or uh, you know, and and get rejected from gay clubs for not looking gay enough. Like, what's all that about? Yeah. That's, so yeah, uh, you know, that's one thing that I absolutely hate, and I, I voice all the time. Well, this is why it's so important for you to be visible because you embody all these different identities, and I think it's so great that you're speaking out about this stuff. Right? I'm not religious. I'm not a fan of religion, but I really dislike when people that are against religion start becoming fundies in their own way and rejecting people, not including people, generalizing. Exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, we live in a world where I really do feel that, you know, definitely in the countries that you and I live in, we can be who we want to be. Whether, you know, you're religious, whether you're not, whether you're you know, gay, whether you're not, whether whatever you want to be, you can be whatever you want to be. And no one has the right to take that away from you, I feel. So power to you as well, girlfriend. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Okay. So one last question that I want to talk to you about now that we've talked about religion and all that, maintaining traditional identity. How about sex, porn and drinking? Has that changed throughout this transition like I know you've told me before that you didn't drink that you quite you know I guess traditional when it comes to sex outside of marriage and uh yeah I don't know how I don't know if you want to talk about porn but uh I've heard that transitioning affects your libido and what you're attracted to and you notice differences in that way Well, definitely. I mean, it's interesting. Doctors at the start of my transition told me that I would, my libido would go down and that the hormones would affect my erections. Um, Now, that hasn't happened. I've got like undetectable testosterone in my body, but I'm still getting erections. I'm still um, having amazing sex. um, And I'm still still you know i'm still uh, developing uh, as a woman um and do you have similar tastes and being attracted to similar kinds of people or has that been changing i'm still attracted to men but in the first six months of um uh, uh you know taking hormones i just ended up just looking at women all the time and I had a few sexual encounters with women too because obviously I don't know uh, I don't know whether you can understand this but the reason why I would look at other women was I just wanted to have their shape I would look at uh, females and their boobs and their asses and their curves and I was just like oh I just want that I want that I want that I can definitely admire 
women, you know, even as a straight woman, definitely see an attractive woman. You're like, wow, she's gorgeous or wow. like Of course. And, you know, obviously those first six months, I think the, you know, I'm inducing puberty again into my body. Yeah. And I remember, God, the first time around was such an experience. And, you know, your mind is all over the place. And I, I wanted to try things, you know, this time around, I really, I think the first time around, I didn't try a lot of things. This time around, I really wanted to try. I just come out of, you know, a marriage and um, I felt a different kind of freedom. And I, I just, I had experiences with women because I guess I wanted to, in my world, wanted to experience women because I wanted to be a woman mm. because I, physically I wanted to be female. You know, I just wanted to get close to boobs. I wanted to get close to vaginas. I wanted to get close to uh, female curves. Basically. And that's very different an experience from being a gay man, right? Like, Oh, totally. I mean, before I never would have thought about, you know, female bodies and getting close to females. I, I, you know, I always knew I liked men and as a gay man, I loved gay men. But now I'm at the point where I don't really care if I like somebody, I like somebody. Yeah. If, if, if I like a guy, I don't care if that guy is trans or that guy is uh, bisexual or gay or straight, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, uh, with a you know with a, with a girl, I, I'm I'm pretty open. I I don't um, if I like somebody, I like somebody, and it's not uh, you know I'm not saying that I'm bisexual. I'd never I don't really label it. It's just I just like what I like mm-hmm. you know and that's what I like right now again things could change in a few years once my body settles and once you know once I've had my SRS mm-hmm. uh, and recovered from it and you know I don't know whether I would want to have experience with women once I have a vagina I don't know mm-hmm. I may I might want to I don't know if if I will but who knows um and as for porn Wow. Okay. My, it's it's interesting. I've always watched porn from the female gaze. So I don't. I, it's very interesting in the sense that I've always watched heterosexual porn. Hmm. Gay porn for me has never really. I don't know. It's never really turned me on. If I'm honest with you. Really. Yeah. It's never really turned me on. Not because I've. You know. Not because I. Um, how can I say this? Not because I find it disgusting or I don't do it because I, I do. It's just I've always I've always watched heterosexual porn from the eyes of the female. Uh-huh. So I don't like I don't like heterosexual porn that just fo- that focuses only on the woman and I, it's really misogynist and yeah. you know the, the the girl is doing all sorts of misogynist things or being made to do it yeah. and I, I hate it. I actually watch it when the attend when the camera is on the guy. Mm. And I like it from that point of view. And I've always liked it from that point of view. And I've continued, you know, whenever I felt horny, I've continued watching um, uh, heterosexual porn from the female point of view. Now, when you go on porn sites, you're, you're always presented with options, as in I am a female or I am a male, and I like female, male, or both. Mm. Now, when you click... I'm a female and I like male, two things come up. You either get inundated with gay porn Mm -hmm. or you get inundated with heterosexual porn from the view of females. Mm. And that's what I've, I've still stuck to. And I, I don't know whether it's subconsciously, maybe it's because I've always um, wanted to be in the position of a female um, with a vagina. That's that's so interesting, and that's that's remained consistent. Yes, that's remained consistent. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, how people view porn has always fascinated me, but it's hard to get people to talk about it. Like I've wanted to do an episode on it for a long time, but 
People aren't very open to speaking about their porn viewing habits. Um, well, we're, uh, you know, the entire world watches it and it has access to it. And uh, it's a shame that we can't talk about it I because know. Uh, yeah, there's such a taboo around pornography, yet, you know, um, we all watch it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, listen, Asifa, it's been such a pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you so much for being so open. And I'm sorry for any stupid questions that I may have asked or anything that I may have said that wasn't, uh, you know, sensitive. I'm not an expert on these issues and i know these are very sensitive topics it's so cool i mean for me it's cool if anyone out there is offended then i think they just need to take a chill pill i know right sometimes people really do <laughs> Ooh, one one last 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 thing i wanted to talk to you about is how the crossover between doing drag has there been any hostility from the trans community to you being a drag performer like no there hasn't really been any animosity um and my drag career still continues so um you know one of the main re you know one of the things i had to consider was um before i transitioned was that you know i could potentially lose my drag career you know yeah. I've got a very successful yeah. drag career and i was just like okay uh, I need to get real that, you know, this could be a possibility. Now, that hasn't happened. I still get bookings. My club nights are thriving. Uh, life is very good um, as as a drag artist. And, um, and as a woman, I'm you're not very... seen as uh, inauthentic, as a drag queen by the, no, the, by the drag I think people, community? No, not at all. I think people get, really get to see... Uh, Asifa Lahore, the everyday person, and Asifa Lahore, the drag queen. I'm t when I'm in hair and makeup and gowns and uh, you know an extension of myself. I am a totally different person on stage. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know when people see me for me, um, the everyday person, they get the difference. I'm in a very unique position. Not every drag queen transitions. Right. And not every trans woman does drag and i'm in a very unique position where again i've bridged two identities right and i've heard um, of tension between exactly. those two identities so if you're doing it seamlessly then that's amazing you know because i've heard um people in the trans community talk about how i don't know some some drag performer was being insensitive or you know and and, and i and i get it like it's it's a tough issue to uh it's like a tightrope to walk on right so you don't want to be seen as mocking anything or being comedic about something when you're a trans woman but when you're a drag performer you're this like big character that does these over-the-top performances look at the end of the day if i can take the piss out of myself and all my identities it's because I'm comfortable. It's right. because I think people just are too serious. I mean, drag in itself is going against the status quo. It's meant to be, you know, a st it's meant to be a, a middle finger up at the world, drag is. Yeah. And I don't take myself seriously in any capacity, in any of my identities. I've never claimed to be the best Muslim. I've never claimed to be the best trans woman. I've never even claimed to be the best, you know, drag artist in the world. I'm just having fun yeah. with life. And I think people should really just chill because, look, I can go on stage as a drag artist and really take the piss about, you know, be, me being a trans woman. And really, I can. Same as being a Muslim. And sometimes really it's care. empowering, right? <laughs> to take the sting out of it. Yeah, I think I think we live in so much of a serious world where the way I deal with stuff is just by taking the piss out of it. But then I really do think that's part of my British upbringing. Uh -huh. We have a very dry sense of humor in Britain, and I think that's where I've got it from. Well, power to you, Asifa. You're doing some amazing things. So thank you again for coming on, for, for talking about all this so honestly and openly. And thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, and same to you.
All right. Take care of yourself and we'll chat again someday. Okay. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. Thank you.